Welcome back to the Cattle Menu Podcast. I'm Caroline Rose, the founder and CEO of K Rose Company and Cattle Menu. Thank you for joining us on this episode. I'm excited to bring you these conversations each week filled with relatable advice and techniques you can take back to your operation. It's my mission to make sure that we can ranch in the next generation. Make sure and subscribe where you're listening so you never miss a new episode. Welcome back to another episode of the Kettle Menu Podcast. I am excited to be joined with Amanda today. Thanks for being here. Well, thanks for having me on. Of course. Why don't you start and just give us a little bit of background on how you're involved in the agriculture industry and what you're up to today? Sure. Uh, My husband, Tyler, and I raise four kids on our ranch by Mitchell, South Dakota. It's called Radke Landon Cattle. It's an Angus, Limflex, and Limousine operation. And I've been involved in agriculture media for, oh, probably 15 years now, I suppose. Got my start at Beef Magazine, writing four blogs a week on industry trends, consumer perceptions, how we can interact with the public. And in the last couple years, I, I've kind of branched off on my own. I, I do a podcast called The Heart of Rural America, have a blog called The Radke Report, and a Western retail boutique at amandaradke.com. And, and then along the way, I, I travel quite a bit speaking at agricultural conferences and reading my children's books. And I guess I've added a, another hat that I wear. I've uh, recently picked up a job working for a consulting company, CK6 Consulting, in the Angus business. So I'm going to be speaking and, and working at a lot of production sales in the upcoming months, which is very exciting. You certainly have a lot of irons in the fire. Talk a little bit about how your passion for advocating for agriculture and kind of just being involved in the communication side really started. Well, it started back, I was an 18-year-old kid. I had a summer internship in Washington, D.C., and my roommate for the summer was a vegan animal rights activist. And I uh, got to learn a lot about what people outside of agriculture thought about us from the worst vantage point possible. Uh, She had seen a, a video of animal abuse, and she was convinced that was how we all were. And I was the first farmer she had ever met. And and so I kind of got thrown into the deep end of the pool in that regard. But it really was eye-opening for me. And I realized there weren't a lot of people that were willing to speak up for agriculture, especially back then. Now people are a lot more vocal. Um, and so I, I switched majors. I went from political science to communications and started blogging and writing and speaking and, and writing the books and all the things. So I guess what motivates me is I think about my parents, my grandparents, the people back at home that love the land and love livestock and just kind of mind their own business and want to do what's right for their families. And they're getting railroaded and, and talked about in newspaper articles and told that they're awful people. And and so I want to fight for them. I, I feel like their stories are often overlooked or not told at all. And, and so that's kind of what fuels me to travel across the country and speak as much as I do. Yeah, that's incredible. I think it takes one of those experiences where you see how removed someone can be from agriculture. My experience was my cousins. I have on my dad's side, his sister has two boys and they were shown that probably a very similar video in school. They went to a French American school and my youngest cousin said, well, that's it. I'm not going to eat meat again. And it was so eye opening to me because 
his mother grew up on a ranch. So we're not even talking generations removed here. We're talking, you know, his parents were actively involved in production agriculture and to see just how easy it is and how that sway of the media can be. It was, it's taken a long time to, he still doesn't, I don't think he eats meat now, but he at least can respect our lifestyle and he really understands it a little bit more, but it's so easy when they display what they display for people to get on the bandwagon. Right. We saw, I saw that trend start when I was at school too, that the Netflix documentaries were becoming part of the college curriculum. And this is what was being presented as facts um, at land grant universities. And that was very frustrating to me. And people often make the mistake that they think I want everyone to eat beef because I'm a, a beef producer. Well, that's, that's not the case. I'm not going to shove a steak down your throat. But I believe in consumer choice and, and that freedom of choice at the grocery store. And right now I'm seeing kind of a twofold attack. Number one, our, our agricultural policies and just kind of the general trend is, is telling people that meat, dairy, and eggs are bad for them and they should avoid at all costs, whether it's for the nutritional, animal welfare, or environmental reasons. And then on the flip side, we have consumers that are making choices based on that fear and propaganda. And I just want people to feel empowered and to feel good about the foods they're selecting. And at the end of the day, I don't I don't want my steak served with a side of guilt. I want people to be excited about our product and we have a great story to tell. And so my, my whole thing is we just have to shot it from the rooftops and give people permission to feel good about a food that is frankly very nutritious. Uh, the cattle are great for the environment and we love and respect our animals too. A hundred percent. What are some of the things you've noticed? You started with Beef Magazine probably 15 years ago. What are some of the kind of trends and, and ways that people are viewing the industry that you think have really changed in 15 years? When I first got started in the space, it seems like the animal rights activists were really king. The animal welfare discussion was kind of top of mind for people. And they're still very well funded and and very largely at work trying to put us out of business and cripple our ability to own animals and manage them as we see fit. But the the climate change tyranny that I see coming down the road, I feel is a, a much bigger issue or they're same dragon, different head. And at the end of the day, uh, the folks that say the cattle are bad for the planet and we need to capture the carbon and do all of the things because agriculture isn't doing enough and we're not green enough and all of these things, at the end of the day, it whittles down to the same topic and that is private property rights. And both of those really chip away at those rights of the individual family farm and rancher. And so that's, I, I would say that's kind of been the change. I remember 10 years ago going to a conference and there was a guy that spoke at a cattleman's event that's talked about the the big red lie of, of the climate change hoax. And now it seems like even those of us in agriculture, many are really embracing that, which I think is a, a huge mistake because it's the same thing like sitting down at the table with animal rights activists. They don't want to negotiate and, and us to compromise a little bit. They might be asking for an inch now, but they want the whole mile. And so I tell people, it's really hard to say you love your animals enough and you're green enough for people that hate you and don't want you to be in business at all. And so my whole thing is like, hold the line, celebrate what you do well, because we are excellent at what we do. And in the meantime, we have outsiders that are telling us every day we're doing a bad job. And so that's where I'm really seeing that butting of heads. And I guess that's that hasn't changed really as much as it stayed the same in the last 15, 20 years. 
I feel like as an industry, we have gotten a lot more offensive versus defensive kind of in your journey ever since with Beef Magazine. It almost felt like, okay, you know, 15, 20 years ago, there would be an issue and then we'd all kind of react. And then there's another issue and we'd all kind of react. I feel as if we've done a really great job of trying to be proactive, not only just telling our story, but just the way that our organizations are, like we're always trying to kind of have that leading edge and that cutting edge. And I think it does make a big difference when we are, you know, boots on the ground telling our stories on individual operations that we're a little bit more offensive than defensive. That's kind of my mentality is to be on the offense. It's it's why I got started writing children's books, because I know for a fact that the animal rights groups have curriculum if, within our public school system that fits under their kind of character counts development. And they're talking about animal welfare in this curriculum. Uh, we have Scholastic Magazine that sends out uh, publications every month. And many of their publications include articles that tell kids that in order to save the planet, we have to skip the cheeseburger. And so we're going to have a generation of kids that are brought up from a very young age being told these lies. And so my whole thing is instead of fighting with those and trying to debunk the misconceptions, which I think is still important, uh, but I'm kind of looking at it from a cultural and societal vantage point, that if I can change the culture, if I can start having the positive conversations through these children's books, we can kind of negate some of that ugly stuff, but we can do it in a way that's leading with kindness and the facts and the truth. And, you know, they say, once you let the truth free, it'll, it will defend itself. And so that's kind of my focus with the books and, and everything else that I do. The other thing that I think has really, it's been a double-edged sword is the show Yellowstone. And yeah. What it's brought, especially to Montana, um, yep. publicity and and the way of lifestyle. What are some of your thoughts? What do you think that's done for the beef industry? Well, I have to say, I I made it one season and I gave it up. I just I just couldn't handle it because someone had, and not to say it's a bad show or anything. And I know many in our community love it. It's it's nice to see our way of life on the big screen, and it's it's really cool that it's it's made it more culturally. People want to be a part of that and they get a window into our life. But I always say there's no better representation of who we are and what we stand for and what our values are than ourselves. And so I had someone in an airport visit with me and and they found out I was a rancher and they said, oh, your life must be just like Yellowstone. And I'm like, "Mm, well, not really. We don't kill people and take them to the train station over like a cattle or land dispute, you know, maybe in some parts of the world, but not anybody I know. And so that it's, yeah, like you said, it's a double-edged sword. It the, the cultural part of bringing those issues up to the forefront front is really great. And on my podcast, I feature some country music singers that are doing that, that are kind of telling our story. But at the end of the day, it's, it's really cool to see our story highlighted in movies and music. But there's nothing more authentic than the farmer or rancher just putting up a camera and saying, hey, here's my life. Here's the good, the bad, and the ugly. This is what my family's about. We do it alongside our kids and multiple generations and all of those things. And so no Hollywood writer can create what, what we already get to enjoy and are blessed to live in and in production agriculture. It's really interesting to me how easy we are influenced as a society because it's almost like people can see, you know, Yellowstone on social media, on individual farms and ranches all the time. But it's like the moment that someone who has a little bit of influence says, Mm -hmm. 
This is cool. This is a lifestyle you guys should be paying attention to. Come to Montana. You know, whatever it may be, it's amazing at how easily we're influenced as a society. I think it's getting more, we're becoming more and more influenceable Mm -hmm. as kind of social media grows. But I'm always amazed. It's like now people are paying attention to X topic. Right. Well, a perfect example of that is kind of during this Yellowstone uh, phenomenon. Kanye West bought a ranch in Wyoming, and I'm sure that's changed a little bit, changed the dynamic of these small rural areas where all of a sudden this world famous rapper is living and buying up a ton of land. But perfect example, he he wore Carhartt and his kids were all wearing Carhartt clothes. And then all of a sudden, all of these people everywhere I would travel are wearing Carhartt kind of ironically. And it, it's cool to, you know, to have people recognizing things that just are part of our way of life. But to me, like coveralls or a stocking cap or those things, they represent my family being out in a South Dakota blizzard calving out cows. And and these were these are clothing of necessity and not really clothing of fashion. But I don't know. It you could say it's good, you could say it's bad, but like you said, it is interesting with social media how fast things can take off. And and that's kind of my invitation to producers is be a part of the conversation because if you're not telling your story, someone else is, good, good, bad, or ugly. Somebody else is going to share your story, and you might not like how you're represented in that storytelling. Are you trying to find the right planner to start the new year with? Look no further. We've created the Cattleman New Planner for ranch wives, mothers, and daughters who are looking for the perfect place to capture all of their thoughts throughout the year. Our planner is the perfect guide to help you get your operation started. In the Cattle Menu Planner, Paving Your Path, you will create the foundation for your operation, set goals, and learn how to implement them. We've included our customer favorite blank calendar pages so you can start when you're ready. Grab yours today at cattlemenulive.com backslash planner. And each operation has such a unique background, a unique reason. And I think sometimes I'm, I'm sure in every industry, but I notice it even more in agriculture. It's like, well, I do the exact same thing as the neighbor down the road. We calve in the spring, we ship in the fall. And yep. I think sometimes we forget that even just the fi- family dynamics, the longevity and legacy of the operation, like all of that makes us unique and that makes our story worth telling. And I feel like in agriculture, we sometimes just feel as if well, everyone's doing it and everyone's talking about it, so they don't really need me. Right. Yep. Or it's just easier to let somebody else do it because they're doing it well. And I'm glad you bring up the the commercial cattleman because I, I think about them a lot. How do we keep them in business? How do we keep them profitable? How do we make what they're doing give them a return so that we can keep kids on the land and the next generation involved in this business? And it's something that keeps me up a, a lot at night thinking and worrying and trying to trying to figure out the bigger picture here because you know you asked me what's changed in the last 15 20 years well our, our census data shows an alarming trend that that we're seeing you know in the last 20 years we've had 1300 cow calf operations a year go out of business we've lost 75% of our feedlot owners in this country someone just shared with me census data here last week that said in the last 5 years every 37 minutes, a family farm calls it quits. And so as I'm traveling this country, I just finished my 35th speech this last week. I see all these empty main streets with 
businesses that are closed down, what the grocery stores are barely hanging on, where it's like a ghost town. And every time a family farm calls it quits and the kids scatter, it doesn't just impact that family. It impacts the rural communities who, you know, they need people. They need them for the schools and for the churches and all these things. It impacts our food supply because I want a diverse and robust food system. And that means keeping families on the land instead of having everything so centralized which we saw during COVID when things are so heavily centralized and something goes wrong, we have bare shelves. And so to me, I guess my fight is really for keeping that independent family farm on the land, doing what they do well, continuing those family traditions. And and that's the question we need to ask ourselves is what do we need to do to protect and fight for these families? And at the end of the day, it it's profitability. If if they're not making money, if they're not able to pay the bills and, and feed the cattle and pay for the land and all of those things, you know, we're fighting a losing battle. And so my speeches have kind of shifted their message here in the last couple of years, uh, really focusing on how to help producers become price makers instead of price takers in a system where Frankly, a lot of things are stacked against us uh, most of the time. And and so trying to empower families that way to really look heavily at their business. And I know you do a ton of that too. And, and that's also why I'm very excited to work with this consulting company because it's directly working with seed stock producers and commercial cattlemen to help them get the payday they deserve. And uh, to me, I guess that, it, that kind of boils down the biggest thing that we can focus on in this moment as we're facing all these adversaries that we have. That's exactly, you know, one of our missions at Kettleman U is to ensure the next generation of farmers and ranchers. And we're very concerned about it as well. Mm-hmm. I feel there has to be some pretty unique creativity. I mean, you're a great example of what creativity can look like in an operation. But I just know that, you know, especially one as we hire on our own operation, as we think about kids coming back if there is no daycare, if the school system's miserable, if there's no, you know, place for the husband or wife to get a second job when needed, and we know in agriculture that's cyclical, it's going to be needed, right? They don't come back. And I think it's it's an alarming statistic. Some of the statistics you said, some of the statistics we read, people are not coming back. And most of the time, it's not because they don't want to, it's because they can't make it work. Yep. And and I would say to that, I think that's a bill of goods that we've been sold that's a lie. That previous generations, my parents did this. They told me, Amanda, do anything else but be in the cattle business. Get the heck out of here. There's better opportunities for you. There's, you're too smart for this, for rural South Dakota. And I listened to them for a while. In college, I did internships all over. I had the pleasure of learning from a lot of great people, but there was nothing quite like home. But now with the with high-speed internet access and the ability to do online retail. You can ship beef all across the country. You can market your family's story and your business. I feel like there's more opportunities now than ever before for young people to stay in rural America. And I, I would encourage them to Uh, Number one, the challenge of the older generation is quit outsourcing our kids, our best talent, keep them at home and help to solve the challenges that they face. Like you mentioned, good schools, good daycares, good health care, all of these things that we need. But you can become a part of changing a system. You can become part of, hey, here's here's a solution I can provide. I want to stay home. I want to run cattle. 
but there's no daycare in town. Could could one member of the family start a daycare and then problem solved? Do you have an economic opportunity to make money off the farm? You're providing health or providing daycare for other families that might be sorely needing it. And, and so that would be my challenge to the next generation too, is what gaps exist in your rural communities and how can you fill those gaps and also be profitable while you do it? And I I think the sky's the limit in that regard. We just we just have to quit outsourcing our best talent to the big cities because our our rural American communities are suffering greatly, and and we need that young talent back in rural America. And I think if you're thinking about doing something that makes you uncomfortable, that's usually a good sign because you know we hear all the time, right? Well, my grandpa did it that way, and and my comeback's always like. Do you want me to pay you the exact same that I paid your grandpa for his calves? Probably not. And so we have to be willing to do some creative. And there's so many options. That's the thing about rural America that just blows me away is like you talked about a daycare. I've also thought about, you know, if you are mechanically minded, go offer your neighbors once every two weeks. You'll do an hour. You'll update their equipment. Like we hate mechanics. We would love that. Like not we don't hate mechanics. We hate mechanics stuff, you know. Like we that's not our strong suit. So if the neighbor who loves to just tinker with stuff came over and said, let me update, you know, let me just run through your equipment once a week, gonna cost you 50 bucks or $100. And I'll make sure that I can solve any of these general maintenance things before they come a problem. Like, that's great. Because you know, when our feed truck breaks down, when it's negative 20, and the yep. cattle really need fed. And so I think that adding that creativity piece, and one of the things, you know, that we talk a lot about in Kettle Menu is getting women back involved in some of those decisions, because any operation that you look at right now that we would consider thriving, they have some creative aspect to the back end that has made them different than their neighbor. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. And and that's where women are really good storytellers. They're, they're naturally market minded and most of them. And, and so it is, it's a good, I'm, my husband and I are a team. There's things he is incredibly good at that I'm just frankly not and vice versa. And we've realized we, we need to utilize both of our talents to kind of make this work and, and get done what needs to get done. And, and I think that's another thing that's kind of overlooked or not talked about too, is just the value of family and that, you might be able to make money somewhere in a big city doing something else, and it might be a comf- a more comfortable life with less risks. But there's something about the value of family and multiple generations and having your village and your community around you, knowing your neighbors and the, the people that are in town that have those businesses. People help each other. That's the, that's the beautiful thing about it is, is you can create an economy within a 50 mile radius of where you live, working with people who understand the same challenges and live the same life as you do. And so, yes, the world is a big place and you can think globally and you can think nationwide, but there's just, uh, it's hard to put a dollar amount on, like you said, knowing the local mechanic, having a great daycare, uh, supporting the local grocery store or the, the little clothing boutique that gets started up by the ranch wife on main street instead of going to Amazon. And if, until we make that active decision to support those people in our small towns, we're going to continue continue to see the carving out of rural America. And, and that's what I, I want to stop. I think the pendulum has really swung really interestingly in that family situation because mm-hmm. several, I mean, we're talking 50, 60, 70 years ago, it was very common. Multi-generations kind of lived on the operation. And then we went to a time where it was like really common that the kids moved and got their own operation. 
Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was like, okay, now each family has their own little operation. And it's sort of like we're swinging back to where family is going to be, you know, closer, more generations on one operation. We're relying a lot more heavily on the neighbor. And one of the things that I've really seen is I remember the first time I took my husband to my hometown and I was just, you know, pointing out where I had a job in high school yeah. and all those fun things. And he kept saying, where'd you meet that person? And I was like, church, where'd you meet that person? Church. And it was so interesting to me because it's like, as we kind of got more independent, we got away from that community, that family, that village. And I can see that we're sensing as a society to come back to that. And, you know, we see a lot of that in church, right? How can we help you? We'll do a meal train when you have a baby, like all of that type of stuff. But I think it's an intentional decision to bring that community back into rural America and really think about fostering, which means putting other people before ourselves in a lot of scenarios, right? Like, how can I show up for this person? But yep. I think we're coming back to that. I think we have to have that. Yeah, I, I do think we've gotten away from it in this busy hustle and bustle instant lifestyle that so many people live and being able to click a button and things just come to our doorstep and all of that is great. But that, that lull of convenience has made the world so fast that we have kind of ditched, well, why do I need to do something for my neighbors? I'm just focused on the bottom dollar and focused on, you know, my, my business and what I have to do. And yeah, I think having a ser- a servant's heart, it's, that, that goes back to if you're an entrepreneur and wanting to solve problems. Being able to solve other people's problems is where the opportunities exist for profitability. But being a servant's heart also means looking at the bigger picture of what's going on in my community, who's hurting, who can I help right now? And if, since you mentioned church, you know, I'm a Christian too, and, and my faith is very important to me. And, and walking in obedience with the Lord, he never asked me to do something that's comfortable or easy. And it usually means making my life a lot harder. Uh, In the last couple of years, we've became foster parents. We adopted a little boy out of foster care and we've seen some really, really hard things happen. And uh, kids that come from very hard places come to our ranch. And we've had people ask us, you know, why do you do this? Because it's stressful. I mean, it is not easy. It's, it makes life very, very hard. And And sometimes my response is, I don't actually know. Ask Jesus. This is what we've been called to do. This is the assignment. It doesn't make sense to me either. I just know we have to. Um, But it just kind of at another way of looking at it is when you understand, for me, being a, a rancher, I just feel very called to answer that problem in our community, that there's one in four kids that go to bed hungry at night, that they don't always have a good meal at the end of the day, that they maybe don't have a mom and dad and a roof over their heads and all of these things that if you have those things, you've won the lottery of life. And once you kind of see some of these issues, it's for me, it's very hard to ignore them. And so that's just been one space that my family has personally gotten involved in that's been very rewarding. And it's it's enriched our faith. It's made us more empathetic to what's going on in our community. But there's other things that we're all called to do something, I feel. And so I think the big ask, whether it's advocating for agriculture or serving in your community or looking at a new business model is what, what are my talents? What are my skills? What are my passions? And how can I use them 
for a purpose, for a meaningful purpose. And when you live a life with purpose, it doesn't matter how much money is in your bank account because you, you feel fulfilled in ways that, that the soul needs and not necessarily what our, our human existence needs, if that makes sense. Are you wanting to start a cattle operation or learn new hands-on skills? Our team knows it's hard to find resources when it comes to learning how to vein cattle or how to brand or even what you need in your vet kit. If you're wanting to learn those skills and more, you won't want to miss this year's Profit Finder. With access to over 25 videos and resources, you can learn hands-on skills from the comfort of your own operation. We created this toolbox for any cattle producer just starting out. We went back to the basics and explained everything from the ground up. You can join the waitlist today and learn more at cattlemenulive.com backslash profit finder. Yeah, the American dream, right? We get so caught up in that the nice house with the picket fence and the bank account and the 401k. And I think sometimes we forget, you know, that it's much bigger than just that. And that's something we talk a lot about at K-Rose. Anytime we have design customers or anything, I'm always like, it's not just about selling bulls or selling cattle. It's This is changing people's lives, whether it's paying for their cancer treatment or starting a family or whatever. And I think to change that mindset and how you can really support and things like that, I think it's so important, but it does take like a active shift in your household to switch kind of from that defensive to offensive. Yeah. I, and I'm, I'm so grateful that that's what you do. And because agriculture is so much more than, than the land and livestock, it is people. It's real, real families that are going through the struggles and the, putting the blood, sweat and tear into these operations. And they know the risk and they know that there's market volatility. There could be a war halfway around the world that impacts their prices for the year. The, the weather is unpredictable. And when you make a mistake in production agriculture, it's quickly tens of thousands of dollars, if not more. And so it's, it's not a very forgiving business model to be a part of. But what I've found and the best way, I think, to make that shift in your mindset is finding really good mentors who will walk alongside you. I've had some really wonderful people come into my life at every season of every stage of my life who I've learned from, I've been able to ask questions from that have supported me and encouraged me and helped me along the way. And I, I don't think you can do it without a really good village that includes some seasoned warriors who have walked through the fire and they know the battles that you face and can can walk alongside you as you navigate life. The whole month of July, one of the things we talked about inside the Kettleman U membership was getting started. And all of the speakers, they talked about mentors and they said, we do not rely on mentors enough nowadays. Yeah. We do not ask people enough questions. We don't open our story up to enough people. And mm -hmm. I thought it was really interesting because you hear, you know, keep your secrets close. Don't tell anyone until you've hit your goals. Like, right. That's what society is telling us. Yeah. And all of our speakers in July were like, I could not have done it without mentors. I had to be stupid in front of them. I had to tell them my ideas and they just looked at me and said, that won't work or try this. And we need a little bit more of that. It's all kind of part of the same conversation, right? And with community and with sticking to and building up rural America, like I think it all goes really hand in hand. I, I agree. And that the point of you don't want to look stupid in front of somebody or you don't want to look naive or like you don't know things. I think that that puts you in such a great position when you 
come at business or life with humility, where you say, I the actually, the more I learn about the cattle business, the more I know I don't know about the cattle business. There's so much to learn. And we have some giants that have done great things in this industry to learn from. And so I would encourage young people or any age, because, you know, I'm 35 with four kids and I still, I need mentors. I need help. I need, I need advice and, and help along the way. But my advice would be get to as many conferences as you can go to get involved in organizations or associations that align with your values. Go to a bull sale and sit in the back and just start talking to the old codgers that are there for the cheeseburger. And the things that you learn when you just say, hey, here's who I am and here's what I do. And man, I'd love to hear more about how you made your way in the cattle business. It opens up so many great stories and resources and someone that become will quickly become a friend to you that you can pick up the phone and learn from. And yeah, but it, it requires you to be vulnerable and to be active and engaged and and to put yourself in a spot where you approach it with humility and say, I, I have more to learn and I'm eager to learn it. That was a great, great way to wrap up. This has been really beneficial, Amanda. I love what you have to say. I have a couple rapid fire questions for you. Okay. So, oh boy. <laughs> what is your favorite cut of steak and how do you like, like it cooked? Uh, ribeye, medium rare, on the grill, salt and pepper. Great. Pretty Maybe hard. Maybe butter cook. on top. Butter on top. Um, what is an ag industry topic that you think needs talked about more often? I think mental health and agriculture is like the ugly, the elephant in the room. Nobody wants to talk about. We we want to be optimistic all the time, and we we are optimistic. We 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 have to be, or you wouldn't be in production agriculture. But I, from talking to families all across the country in the speeches that I do, and having those those conversations after my presentations, people people go through seasons of life, whether it's if it's health or a relationship or the dynamics of multi generations and trying to work businesses and and be profitable. There's hard seasons, and so people struggle and. And, and that's why we need community. That's why we need each other to to commiserate, to celebrate, and everything in between. So I would say mental health. Great. Um, what is the best piece of advice you've ever been given? Uh, the worst thing someone can say to you is no, or or what's the worst that can happen is you're going to fail. So my mom actually told me that when I was young, and I I actually got my internship with Beef Magazine that way. I introduced myself to the editor at a scholarship banquet at SDSU and said, hey, do you have an internship? And he said, no, we don't. And I said, well, I need an internship to graduate. Would you be willing to take me on? And uh, they they made they made a program for me. And I moved to Minneapolis for a summer. And that's how I got started working under the incredible Joe Roybal. So the in life, in agriculture, whatever it is, just ask. You never know what mentor might be able to help you. And if they're too busy or not willing, well, they say no and you move on and keep stepping. What's the worst that can happen? Take the chance. That phrase, the worst they can say is no, is probably something my dad says to me once a week. And really? something I say to the K-Rose team members once a week. What's the worst they can say? It's no. The answer is already no if you don't ask. So you might as well ask. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, last one. What is your non-career dream job? Non-career, like outside of agriculture? Yeah, just like if you could do something, if money didn't matter, what what do you think sounds fun? Oh my, I'm I don't know. I'm living my dream. I I had a an author come and read to the school when I was in kindergartner, and I thought, oh, it'd be so cool one day to be a children's book author. And so now I'm doing it. I and I wouldn't say that's like my full time gigs, but being able to write books. Um, is a dream and, and getting to bring my kids along for the ride is incredible. But 
I don't, I spoke in Florida this summer and there was a couple that had retired, sold all their things and they were tour guides on this boat in, in Florida. And I was like, you know, maybe one day Tyler and I uh, move to the mountains or something and become tour guides in like Alaska or Yellowstone or something. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I wouldn't want to be anywhere else, but with the cows. So there is no other, there's no plan B. Yeah. Right. Um, <laughs> Annie F. Downs, I don't know if you follow her on Instagram, but she's one of my favorite followers on Instagram. She asked that question and she said, you know, people were answering with all sorts of things. And some lady said that her dream job was quilting. And she's like, but I could never make a career out of quilting. And Annie said something that really stuck out to me. And it helps me to remember to like, dream about things like that, even though I may never pursue it, is she said, maybe that's going to be our job in heaven. Like you want to be a quilter, maybe your job is going to be quilting when we get up there. And it's just something that I think about often is like, there's a reason we have kind of a tinge or like, I always think of coffee shop. I'm like, man, it'd be so fun to just make coffee all day and be able to like, there's people, you know, coffees that they want. So I just always love that perspective of like, There's a reason, you know, that tour guide maybe like has this little sting in your heart because it might be our calling just at a different time. So, well, let's be honest. It probably is just because I never get off the ranch for fun. So (laughs) I'm either at a conference or at home working, but okay, I'll change my answer. If money, if money wasn't an object, I I would be a full-time foster mom. I love kids and I love, it's been so rewarding having, we've had a dozen kids come and stay on the ranch and, uh, there's just nothing more meaningful, I think, than than loving on a kid who needs that safety and security of a loving family. But unfortunately, we can't take them all in. But the the calls keep coming. So I would I would challenge maybe your listeners if I could end on that. If uh, foster care is on your heart at all, um, the kids are so worth it, and it's it's an incredible thing when you can combine agriculture and ranch life and and invite others into that space. It's it's been very humbling and very rewarding. That is something you probably don't know, but my husband and I are started in the process to get licensed in Montana. Oh, wow. Adopting and being foster parents on our first date. And so like, as soon as we got married, I said, we have to go do this. We, and so we've submitted the paperwork and we're just waiting on a few things. One of the worst parts in Montana is they do the class once a month that you have to attend. And it's like an eight hour zoom class. And we like the next stage started in June. Well, my husband has been on Wildland Fires every month. So we're just patiently waiting. We know that our time will come, but every, because he doesn't have Saturdays off, of course, during this season. And so we're just like, okay, maybe next month it will get cool. And then we can attend a eight hour Zoom class to to do the next step. But that's where we're at. So we're very excited. We felt called for a long time to bring kids oh, well, in and show congratulations. Up. It's, it's very exciting. It's, it's a hard journey, but it's, it's wonderful too. At the same time, the kids are worth it. And yeah, we'll just have to keep in touch if you ever need advice down the road. I'm, yeah, I'm just all away. Yes. Well, thank you so much for your time today. We'll be sure to link all your social media handles um, in the show notes and have people reach out and listen to your podcast. Thanks again for having me. Of course. Thank you. Thanks again for listening to the Cattleman U podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and review if you're listening on Apple Podcasts. We are thankful to have you in your community. Like always, remember the grass is greener where you water it.